31st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darroch, a British journalist and Brexit casualty based in The Hague and contributing editor to Dutch News. With me are Molly Quell, an American journalist, Trump refugee and Dutch News contributing editor, and Paul Peters, a master's student in civil engineering and the Netherlands' best informed taxi driver. So, what's everyone been up to this week? Enjoying the weather. Yeah, yeah enjoying been... the weather. Hottest day of the year so far yesterday. Yes, officially. Officially, was, uh, yes. It was yeah. uh, over 20 degrees in the Bild Utrecht. Yes, which is the official uh, designation for how to st- yes. for weather stuff. Yes, because yes. the Meteorological Institute is based in uh, yeah. the build. And, and the Dutch, of course, must yes. have a very uh, there must be an exact yeah. right exactly is that a mathematical definition of what is a warm day. Yeah. There's <laughs> also I think you have summer days. If it's over twenty five degrees, it's officially a summer's day. Yes. yes. And if it's over thirty, it's a tropical day. And yeah. what yeah. is exactly. the official designation for uh, Rokistag? Is there uh, <laughs> just the first nice weather day? Actually, basically, yeah. Yeah. the first day that when the, the all women, as if by uh, some kind of um, well, we do all get well, together and consult yeah, every yeah. morning before we get. We yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. you all coordinate yeah. your wardrobes. Yes. And no, no, t- no two people are wearing the same outfit. Exactly. Unlike, yeah. unlike the male Dutch politicians. Right. Who <laughs> are all shopping literally from the same tailor. Later on, we'll be looking at what Brexit means to the Netherlands after Article 50 was triggered this week. But before that, we've got news of the coalition talks, a controversial shopping trip, and the goat with a little bit extra. Our top story this week in politics, uh, Verkenner Edith Schippers offered her report with her findings on how to proceed the coalition talks following the March 15th elections uh, to the parliament's chairwoman Kajia Arib on Monday. Based on Mrs. Schippers' talks with all party leaders, she advised the Tweede Kamer to start coalition talks with Prime Minister Mark Rutte's Liberal VVD party, the Christian Democrats, CDA, D66 and left-wing Green Party, GroenLinks, which the lower house accepted. On the advice of these parties, Mrs. Schippers, who is health minister in the current cabinet, but has no intentions to remain in politics, was named informateur, which means she will chair the coalition talks and acts as chief negotiator and probably as mediator as well. On Wednesday, Mrs. Arib, who was born in Morocco and has a dual nationality, was re-elected as the lower house's chair, which wasn't a surprise as she went unopposed. Yes, yeah, so there's no opposition from Geert um, uh, Wilders' party to try and put up another candidate. No, Geert uh, Wilders' party uh, has a uh, MP, uh, Martin Bosma. Uh, uh, he's actually a fine chair. He's deputy chair mm. right now and he's actually pretty, pretty, pretty good chair. But they decided not to uh, let him run for, I think, party political reasons. Um, so that means he uh, went on a post. So, um. yeah. yeah. And uh, the new MPs all got to uh, uh, make their first speeches in Parliament. Were there any, were there any highlights? Yeah, there was definitely a highlight. Uh, we have Thierry Baudet of uh, Forum for Democracy, and he started his maiden speech <laughs> in Latin. <laughs> and after that, the uh, Moroccan uh, mm. chair has to remind him that Dutch is the uh, language that is spoken <laughs> in Parliament. And uh, there were some uh, Latin. It's globalization uh, for you, I think. Yeah. yeah. And there were some Latin high school teachers who. Uh, analyzed his Latin uh-huh. and they uh, concluded that it was um, shaky. Uh-huh. Ah, so, so, so six out of ten for Thierry's... Uh, well, Latin. I think uh, f- four out of was ten. It, Ouch, yeah. not even a passing yeah, grade yeah, for yeah. his Latin. That's tough. Yeah. But this uh, this gives us some expectations that we may have a cabinet before the summer, I think. Uh, yeah, indeed. Mrs. Schipper, she uh, told us that uh, she, she doesn't expect a new cabinet before Easter, but definitely before summer. That's very uh, no, That's encouraging. Yeah. Very optimistic. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, but we don't have much uh, more news about what's actually going on in the talks. It's all... Uh, it's a very tight lip. Radio silence. Yeah. 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 
Ritter is sort of famous for his tight-lippedness mm, with yes, regards indeed. to these things. In other news, councillors in the Belgian city of Ghent are demanding that the Netherlands picks up the tab for a shopping trip by PVV leader Geert Wilders. Mr Wilders and his wife visited the city at the weekend after the election, despite the local council warning it was too risky. Ghent then had to put an extra 57 police officers on duty at a cost of €13,500, according to local councillor Feli Yuxel, who's leader of the Christian Democrat faction. Mr Yuxel said on Twitter, quote, People are free to go where they like, but when they run up these kinds of costs, it seems reasonable to send the bill to the person concerned or the Dutch government. It's not been disclosed what Mr and Mrs Wilders bought in Flanders that they couldn't get in Dutch shops. Probably some ca- some pet-related uh, stuff. Cat food. Yeah, yeah, yeah cat kittens. food, yeah. Some, some cute leashes yeah. and some matching bowls for <laughs> yeah. the, new, uh, the new additions Indeed. to the Wilders household. Yeah, yeah. this Belgian council must be thinking, you know, if only we could have just shut the border. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Brexit. <laughs> um, but this is why uh, uh, whenever the PVV party wants to have a party, an election party or whatever, uh, that's why the Dutch government uh, won't allow that or at least doesn't pay for the for the security mm. because it's just so expensive. Astronomically yeah. expensive. Yeah. In other news, over the last decade, the number of international students enrolling in Dutch universities has doubled. The 2016-2017 academic year saw 112,000 foreign students start at a Dutch university, with 81,000 participating in a degree program and the remainder attending on an exchange, such as the Erasmus program. German students make up the largest cohort, followed by Chinese and Italian. Maastricht University tops the list with the highest number of foreign students. New data from the Dutch statistics agency, CBS, shows that nearly a quarter of foreign students remain in the Netherlands for their entire lives after graduation. As long as they get proper bicycle lessons, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's your. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, you that's my. That's, that's my only turn. So I do have to say, living in Delft, you can tell when the uh, new international students come in because the bike lanes here are chaos and mass hysteria. <laughs> yes, even more than they are usually. Yeah, are, yeah. yeah, it's quite bad. For days now, the Dutch news has been dominated by one thing and one thing only, and that is a closed tunnel, which caused an utter chaos on the Dutch roads, especially in and around Amsterdam, the southbound part of the Schiphol tunnel had to be closed just before rush hour on Monday after 70 cables were damaged in a small fire. This led to traffic backups which spread as far as the Amsterdam city centre, leaving the city in a traffic chaos. Traffic was diverted via Utrecht and Hoofddorp, but naturally that led to severe traffic jams on those roads as well. The tunnel was partly opened again on Wednesday and fully on Thursday morning. However, Rijkswaterstaat closed the tunnel again on Thursday evening for emergency repairs. Pairs. And um, uh, as we are speaking now, they opened uh, four lanes for the morning rush hour, but they will close it again, and they expect that it will be fully opened on Monday morning. It's been uh, the the little it's map of the uh, the the Fila Rida in yes. in the Netherlands has been. Yeah, it's, it's just a, red. It's yeah, just yeah, a big yeah. red dot. One big red circle around Amsterdam, yeah. Yeah, and you can, you can't you can't drive from Amsterdam to the Hague at yeah. all. No, not by, at by all. any route. I mean, in fact, I think the spell to satirical website suggested the best way to get from Amsterdam to the Hague was to fly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah f- fly by uh, Istanbul by to. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the fire was in a, in one of the emergency exit tunnels, which mm. isn't a very comforting thought actually. <laughs> no, that's um, yeah. And 
because uh, that's a very small tunnel, uh, uh, only a few uh, workers are allowed inside. So mm. uh, it will take a, f- a long time before they uh, they repair all the. Uh, Do they know what the cause of the fire is? No, it's still unknown. Yeah, interesting. Right. We have to appreciate uh, the fact that we live in a country where the most dramatic news for a whole week is a motorway tunnel being shut. Yes, yes <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Junior Finance Minister Eric Wiebes is under pressure to release more details of the deals struck by the Dutch tax service with multinational companies to entice them to base themselves in the Netherlands. A confidential memo seen by the newspaper Trouw warned that many of the Dutch arrangements risked falling foul of the European Union and the OECD, both of which have taken a strong line against corporate tax avoidance since the 2008 crash. At the same time, the Dutch government has put itself at the forefront of efforts to increase tax transparency within the EU. In the memo, civil servants warned that the tax services' activities risked damaging the Netherlands' international reputation, though they also stressed that the deals were within the rules. In January, Vibus told Parliament that the government had shared information with international organisations on nearly 400 tax deals, but the total of figures believed to be closer to 7,000. Yeah, I think I'm going to start an international company as well, because can... I would like to uh, <laughs> pay as, uh, as, as less uh, tax as possible, actually. You can, uh, you can base it here in Delft, like uh, IKEA is, yeah, which is indeed. a little-known fact that the mm. Swedish furniture company's corporate headquarters is actually located here in the Netherlands. Yes. Yeah, yeah and companies like Starbucks, well, Starbucks famously is, uh, is based in Amsterdam, even though you know, it only does a fraction of its business. And you too is here. based in Roelofarensveen. Yes. I'm sorry, It's that. what was that? Roelofarensveen. Thing. Listen to the traffic information. <laughs> you will, uh, Hear a lot about that. That's the only, only, only yeah. reason people know that the existence of that place. Well, this comes after this and the Apple ruling in Ireland. What was that about eight months ago? Where the EU ruled that Apple has to pay Ireland a bunch of tax money that Ireland says it does not want because of these. Oh, uh, because they tax still want to remain yeah. a tax haven. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, but that happened in the Netherlands as well, didn't it? That. Uh, the, the, the Dutch were ordered to uh, claim tax money back from Starbucks and they said they didn't want to because they, they'd rather have Starbucks. Uh, the Dutch <laughs> don't want money. Wow, this it's, is it's a, a, it's a, it's a crazy yeah. world yeah. we're living in here. A food delivery escalated Thursday night in Arnhem. A pizza delivery driver employed at a place called Snack Attack arrived at a house at 9.30pm, but the door was answered by the homeowner who told him that he was being robbed. The pizza guy fled when he heard gunshots as the burglars ran away, but the owner of the house decided to step into the pizza guy's car and chase the burglars. As gunfire continued on the streets, the car crashed killing one person, and that is possibly the burglar, but that's definitely not for, cer- for, for sure. That's been confirmed, yeah. No. So did the guy ring for a pizza so that the guy would turn, so the driver would turn up and help him with his uh, problem with uh, the burglars in his house? Well, he tried to uh, call the police, got so hungry of connecting, <laughs> getting connected to the police, then ordered a pizza, and the pizza guy probably arrived before the police, I imagine. Mm. Now, a lot, of, uh, a lot of details are very, uh, very unclear right now, because this story just broke, and uh, the police uh, don't like to you know issue a lot of details because there is still an ongoing uh, investigation uh. i think the biggest question i have is um, whether or not the gentleman who owns the place called snack attack is going to change his name <laughs> after this uh, incident has taken pizza place. attack probably pizza attack <laughs> yes sport now and the dutch fa has begun the search for a new national team coach to replace danny blint who was sacked following the disastrous 2-0 defeat to bulgaria at the weekend former manager louis van gaal seems likely to be given the task of appointing blint's successor with Frank and Ronald de Boer, who played under Van Gaal at Ajax, among the front runners. In Blint's absence, Oranje succumbed to his second defeat in a week when they lost a friendly at home to Italy 2-1 on Wednesday, sending them plunging to a new low of 32nd in the FIFA rankings. The defeat to Bulgaria means the Netherlands are fourth in their World Cup qualifying group and in danger of missing out on their second summer tournament in a row. 
which is a disaster for them and also a disaster for the people who make all those kind of like bunting and those orange hats and yeah, things in the supermarket. Um, uh, and all the uh, uh, the bar owners and yeah. uh, so traffic is a disaster football is a disaster everything else basically fine America is a disaster America is a disaster <laughs> but here in the Netherlands it's basically just traffic and football yes yeah so cars aren't moving and neither is the national football team <laughs> yeah. Yeah. except for one car from a burglar a burglary <laughs> yeah. car yeah. Even, even that's not moving anymore yeah. It's, uh, yeah. but if the Dutch carry on not qualifying for tournaments they should just play a friendly every time against Scotland because <laughs> we never make it either uh, spe- speaking of uh, Louis van Gaal by the way uh, uh, when uh, is this connected to the Bonnetches mm-hmm. affair no damn when Kadia Arip was uh, uh, asked about her language skills she said well I don't I speak French well I speak Dutch well well, but I don't speak English well. My English is somewhere between Louis van Gaal and Frans Timmermans. <laughs> and Frans Timmermans is, is famous for his uh, yeah, language mm. skills. Yeah. He speaks, yeah. I believe, seven or eight languages. Yeah. And Louis van Gaal is notorious for his language uh, right. skills mm. because, well, it's terrible. It's terrible. Just in time for Easter, a farmer in Zeeland had an unusual addition to his flock. One of his lambs was born with five legs. The fifth leg is located on the lamb's chest and doesn't seem to be causing it any distress. There is a video of the lamb frolicking about on the NOS website. Normally, these lambs would be destined for the slaughterhouse, but given the high level of interest in this little one, the farmer may choose to keep her. Although, on the other hand, if he's got a big family, then he knows he's got a leg for everyone. That, uh... <laughs> An extra, extra leg of lamb for Easter dinner, maybe. We'll be discussing the implications of Brexit uh, for the Netherlands after this word from our sponsors. Access is an independent, not-for-profit organization which has been helping internationals successfully settle in the Netherlands for the past 30 years. Access is run entirely by a team of highly skilled, motivated and professional volunteers who have themselves been experts. Their vision is to provide essential, comprehensive and unique services nationally through the expertise and experience of their volunteer expatriate community. You can find out more about Access and the services they offer at the website www.access-nl.org. After nine months, the UK has delivered. Those are the words of European Council President Donald Tusk as he announced the formal start of negotiations for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union, better known as the Brexit talks. Theresa May's government has two years to negotiate a new partnership deal with the EU after 52% of people voted last June to leave. Despite the narrow majority, May has signalled there's no going back. Brexit means Brexit. But what exactly will Brexit mean for the UK, for the Netherlands and for the thousands of expats living in both countries? Yeah, regarding those experts, that's that's an interesting story, actually. So, Gordon, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, haven't, I have no idea, actually, at, 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 at this time. There's, um, but there's 46,000 British people living in the Netherlands, and, uh, yeah, this, the big question is, will they now be allowed to stay? Will new people be allowed to come and live here? Is there any discussion uh, within the Dutch Immigration Service about cutting a special deal, kind of, to British people who have been living here for a while? I, I don't know, just sort of giving them some kind of residency permit or something like that or do you uh, do you think you guys are all going to have to are we going to have to find a new co-host for the podcast I can't see there being any kind of mass exodus because you know obviously um, uh, a lot of Dutch companies want to have um, you know uh, British people working for them they need some native English speakers to do international business um, and uh, but I think uh, you know whether um, expats can live in each other's countries is one of the one of the first issues that's uh, uh, one of the first hot issues of the um, uh, of the whole Brexit process, um, 
and you know there's been a lot of talk about you know um, whether um, they'll be allowed to people who, especially people who live here already will be allowed to uh, stay on the same terms or whether they'll uh, you know, have to um, go through um, uh, acquire residency permits or even uh, go for citizenship you know you won't have I mean, in the moment obviously as a citizen of a European Union country yeah, you have so the right to basically move to anywhere else in Europe um, unconditionally yeah so the question now is uh, expats already living in the Netherlands or anywhere else uh, will they be treated as new uh, yeah. immigrants, or will they be treated as well? Or, uh, uh, Welcome no to the care. immigration <laughs> system, Garden. I can tell you all about it. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah. wonderful. It sounds, like, yeah, it sounds like a tremendous lot of fun. Yeah, but I mean, at the moment we have a passport that says um, yeah, I'm, I'm a citizen of the European Union, so yeah. you can stay that wherever you want. Yeah. yeah, is that going to continue, or you know, when my next when this passport runs out, will I get a you know, uh, will I then have to apply for residency? I don't know. I'm in a slightly unusual position because my two children are Dutch citizens. They've got Dutch passports. Oh, yeah, that's I'm not, complicated. Yeah, then. but I've only lived here three years, so I'm not eligible for Dutch citizenship until, you know, for, for, another, for another two years. But on the other hand, I've got responsibility for two Dutch citizens. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all up in the air, and there's a lot of unanswered questions uh, around this, and it's making you know, a lot of yeah, and that has to be nervous. causing yeah a lot yeah. of people. I mean, just the the, the stress level. I can only <laughs> imagine kind of what you're experiencing in that regard, especially with having you know children. I I often have a lot of stress kind of revolving around re, you know reapplying for visas and that kind of stuff. And you know my uh, my only responsibility in the world can be tucked into the cargo hold of an airplane and flown back to the U.S. with me. Are you talking about your dog? I'm talking about my dog. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just even that is really just sort of, you know, my, my British friends and stuff that you, that I've sort of been interacting with, like a lot of them are very concerned about this kind of thing. And there's been an uptick in applications, uh, for British, for Dutch citizenship from Brits who are married to, mm. to Dutch people and those sorts of things. So yeah, that's kind of the problem with, uh, voting for something without having a plan written yeah. down. Right. So they, the referendum was that the, the, the people voted no, but they didn't know you know what the alternative was so yeah. it's it's a it's a very complicating and confusing situation right now but there are some anticipated perhaps positive benefits for the netherlands of course because there's a number of companies who are discussing now and perhaps are already moving to relocate their headquarters that are currently in london to amsterdam because there's a well-educated workforce here and mm. a lot of uh, people who speak english um and so that that makes it a, a bit more attractive yeah, there's a lot of talk certainly about companies, particularly in the financial sector. And right. you know, London has this huge banking sector, which is you know, the biggest in Europe by far. And now the question is, you know, how much business will will those companies be able to do in Europe? You know, what what restrictions will apply to them? And if the yeah, if the if if you have too much of like a hard Brexit, if the terms are too harsh, then um, those companies might start moving en masse to the European mainland. And then Amsterdam is probably one of the front runners because, like you say, it's got a you know, it's got a well educated um, uh, English speaking population. Um, I guess we should start building some towers then in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you should start building a wall to keep all the <laughs> to keep out all the, all the British banks from Yeah, uh, exactly. They're going to have a wet shores. foot dry foot policy like the US does with Cuba, right? Like lots of uh, British people swimming across the channel. Yeah. <laughs> of course, there's also 73,000 Dutch people in the UK and they're in exactly the same situation now. And some of them have been there for years and they've uh, you know, they put down roots and they've had families and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're their, their position and whether they can stay or not is, is suddenly become really uncertain. And there has been a few stories sort of popping up in the media of Dutch people who are living in, in, in the UK and mm -hmm. like having their residency permits rejected or their passport application rejected, right? There was this story of this woman who 
uh, had been married to a British guy for 25 years or something, yeah. raised a couple of kids there. And then the British government said, oh, no, no, because you haven't been working here and contributing to society. And she says, well, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 25 <laughs> years. How is this not contributing to society? Yeah, and it, yeah people have been being sent letters saying you have to leave because yeah. they say you haven't, you haven't been working all the time you've been here. Right. And things like, uh, be told, because um, the UK has got a, um, a national government-funded health service, uh, people are now being told that uh, if you haven't been working and paying your tax, you know, paying sufficient taxes, you should have taken out private health insurance. People turn around saying, "Well, we, we, we never thought about that. We never, you know, there yeah, was we never were. an issue." And all of a sudden, you mean telling me that I should have taken out private insurance twenty years ago for the un, unthinkable event that Britain would leave the EU? <laughs> right. So, so. Rather unthinkable. Indeed. <laughs> so, what is happening with the negotiations? Kind of, what's the what's the time frame? What are they talking about? Other than the Daily Mail with their terrible headline regarding skirts, what is the what is the <laughs> Serious sort of ramifications here. What, what's yeah, going we'll, on? We'll, we'll skip over Lexit and uh, say. <laughs> yeah, so let's please skip over Lexit. <laughs> but basically, it's, um, so what happened this week was, uh, and the reason it was in the news was that um, uh, Theresa May sent a letter to um, Donald Tusk saying that uh, she she'd formally started the process which is uh, basically triggering Article 50 of the uh, Lisbon Treaty, which gives her two years now to negotiate a new deal with the EU, um, at which point, because two years from now, uh, Britain will officially no longer be a member of the European Union. So they've got to thrash out some kind of terms and conditions uh, for the new relationship uh, with Europe, which is either going to be you know, either a, a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit. Uh, a soft Brexit would be that, um, you know, they retain, although the UK is no longer a member, it would still retain a lot of the kind of favourable trade conditions like a country like Norway or Switzerland has right now. Whereas a hard Brexit would be that UK would leave the single market altogether um, and you know, we should give it more freedom to negotiate its own trade deals with other countries, but it would mean there would be more kind of um, uh, trade tariffs uh, with countries within the EU. Although a lot of um, countries, especially like the Netherlands uh, favour a soft Brexit. They want to because because they do a lot of trade with the, uh, with Britain. I mean, the, um, Britain is the is, is the Netherlands' second largest trade partner. Um, the problem is that during the referendum, two of the biggest issues were how much the European Union was costing, and um, and and immigration. They wanted to restrict the number of EU workers coming and living in Britain. Um, and if if it, if the UK wants a soft Brexit, it's basically going to have to carry on paying into the European Union because that's what Norway does, and it would have to accept free movement of uh, workers. So for that reason, I think uh, Theresa May is favouring now a kind of a hard Brexit, which means it's going to be, you know, a lot more upheaval, a lot more disruption, um, and yeah, a lot of uncertainty for yeah uh, everyone on both sides of the North Sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and, the and, the and the Netherlands is also in a very difficult situation because on the one hand they want a soft Brexit for mm. economic reasons, but on the other hand they want, of course, a hard Brexit because they don't want to. They want to send a signal to other countries: do not leave mm. us because it will hurt you. Yeah, exactly. Because Mark Rutte, because it looks like he's going to carry on being prime minister, he's got to trade quite a fine line between, um, yeah, the Dutch uh, economic interests uh, of being a, uh, of, of the strong trade partnership with the UK, but he, he can't afford. To, to alienate uh, his other European partners like France and Germany. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so in the end, I think he's always going to um, you know, take the side of, well, of of the EU in these talks. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, uh, the Netherlands is going to lose a very powerful ally, actually, in, in within the European Union because the Netherlands and the UK, they almost agree on everything. So whenever something has to be decided, then the Netherlands teams up with the UK and also with Germany actually or they team up with the three of them and now when the UK is leaving they uh, they miss they're missing this 
enormous uh, powerful ally uh, within the European Union so it has a lot of consequences for the Netherlands as well especially if you know the power balance moves mm. towards France and Italy and Spain um, yeah it will definitely hurt the Netherlands yeah it affects the power balance uh, very definitely because uh, for the last kind of 30-40 years you've had the three major European economies which are UK France and Germany and the Dutchess have been in geographically and economically in the middle of those three kind of um, as a as a power broker and now all of a sudden uh, rather than being in the heart of Europe the Netherlands is very much more on the fringe and you've got yeah. France and Germany as the two major nations left and then yeah, what kind of shape is European politics going to take is another country like Spain going to become more powerful or is it going to be more of a Franco-German uh, axis so yeah it, it's going to change the whole landscape yes indeed and what are they going to do with the uh, spare seats in the European <laughs> uh, Parliament? Uh, yeah, yeah, what they can do with them, yeah, they should probably retire Nigel Farage's seat. <laughs> yeah. Burn it, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps they will sell it on the uh, Koningsdag in the Netherlands. Yeah. On the streets. <laughs> um, so, my favorite topic always what's the media coverage been like of this? <laughs> Other than Legsit, which, yes. Um, so, what are, the, what are the newspapers there talking about versus what are the newspapers sort of on the on mainland Europe talking about? Yeah, I think um, uh, in, in mainland Europe, it's been kind of a kind of, well, certainly in the Dutch media, it's been quite a kind of technical discussion about uh, what, um, you know, what the kind of ramifications are likely to be. Um, and how the talks are going to go. I think in the British media, what you see a lot is that, um, uh, that there's quite a contrast between British newspapers, or certainly newspapers like the Telegraph and the Daily Mail, think that this is um, uh, that the British government's in a real position of strength, and that Europe's weak and divided, and it can play the countries off against each other. Whereas and I think when you when you look from the European side, there's not really any sign of that at all. You know, it's kind of uh, and you look at the Dutch media coverage, and it looks as if you know, Europe is very much speaking with uh, w with, with one voice, voice yeah. uh, on this and um, I think uh, Giva Hofstadt the former Belgian Prime Minister who's one of the main negotiators for the European Parliament has kind of said that if uh, Britain tries that then it's it's going to get short shrift so I think if anything this uh, talks or, or the Brexit process has kind of actually made Europe more united than it's been yeah. for quite a while I think because suddenly it's got one issue that everyone is focusing on in the in the same direction yeah indeed <laughs> well conversely it appears to be making the UK much more divided because uh, Sturgeon has now said in Scotland that they are t debating having another having another referendum vote about whether or not Scotland should remain part of yeah the the UK or should it sort of become its own country I guess and and thus stay as part of the European Union. There's also further discussions about Northern Ireland. Yeah, you, Northern Ireland is kind of more interesting in a way I think because um, the, the whole idea of a united Ireland was just yeah just hasn't been an issue for you know the last uh, sort of thirty four you know, last sort of thirty years. You know they, they finally got the peace process. There's no one wanted to go back to that kind of division but all of a sudden now that um you know ireland will be in the european union and northern ireland if uh, won't all of a sudden the, 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 there's a lot of support all of a sudden popping up for you know um uh, the republic almost you know to uh, to take in northern ireland and there's kind of a precedent for doing that where obviously east germany was absorbed by germany and automatically became part of the european union so if Northern Ireland, which voted to remain in the European Union, wanted to want to go down that road, and there's all kinds of, you know, um, consequences that might have, but uh, that might be reasonably straightforward. Scotland, on the other hand, has kind of been told that um, uh, it can't apply as a to become a member of the European Union while it's part of the UK. So it's got to vote. For, it's got to decide whether or not now it votes for independence. 
uh, which you know, people in Scotland rejected uh, three years ago in a referendum, or less than three years ago. But uh, you know, the, the conditions have changed. Scotland voted against Brexit. Uh, yeah, Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish First Minister, has said there will be another referendum. Theresa May has said uh, you can't have one. Because um, uh, so ultimately, the, the government in Westminster uh, or the Parliament in Westminster uh, gets to decide whether or not Scotland has a uh, has a legally binding referendum. On the other hand, the Scots could just go for a, an advisory referendum, which is what the Brexit referendum was after all, um, and uh, sort of leave the ball in London's court. So that could get quite messy, I think. Yeah, if, yeah, if, 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 yeah if the Scots government, we, so, we could end up basically with yeah Brexit ends up breaking up the UK. So yeah. it's 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 uh, unthinkable that <laughs> Scotland or Northern Ireland separately are a member of the European Union while still a member of the United Kingdom. No, they can't have both, basically. And I think Verhofstadt made, made that clear uh, quite oh, a Oh, that's ago. the European Union's uh, uh, point of view. Yeah, the European Union's right. perspective. While the UK is still a member state, which remember it still is, yeah. uh, the European Union will not get involved in, you know, it will not, act, will not be actively trying to break up the UK. But on the other hand, once the UK leaves, then you know, the European Union doesn't have any obligations towards it anymore. So if Scotland then became independent and wanted to apply to join the EU, it would yeah, it would be a very different picture. Yeah. Yeah, I worked in uh, Northern Ireland for a long time, about 10 years ago, and just the idea that the Northern Irish people are now talking about when being willing to join with Ireland is just completely unthinkable. But yeah. this is sort of what happens with this sort of disastrous Brexit you know, strategy is, is that, yeah, all of a sudden it's more attractive to... Yeah, become part of this country that you have had generations of people, you know, sort of expressing very vehement hate towards because, you know, the attractiveness of being part of the EU and having to walk away from, yeah, the rights of free movement and also like the rights of free travel and, and being able to trade. It's just sort of uh, goes to show, yeah, how uh, how how crazy this sort yeah, of whole Brexit thing is. It's a bizarre situation. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole law of unintended consequences, isn't it? You never thought, you know, sort of uh, three or four years ago that, uh, well, Britain would leave the EU and then that would possibly trigger um, uh, yeah, the breakup of the United Kingdom as well. Yeah, but I think this goes back to what Paul was saying earlier, which is that you know the, the referendum for Brexit did not have a plan. Like, there was no sort of clear, I mean, you know, they had this bus that said, oh, we're going to give all this more money to the yeah. uh, National Health Service, except yeah. that, like, that number was a lie, basically. Yeah, and and no. there was no clear sort of strategy for what they were going to do with regards to immigration and people who are living in both countries and access to the free market and all these sorts of things, so... Yeah, the United Kingdom will fall apart. They, they didn't put that on the side of a bus. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. neglected to mention that as yeah. your slogan, Boris Johnson. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, I think during the referendum, it's kind of the assumption almost that if there wasn't any kind of Brexit, it would be a fairly soft Brexit. And, the, you know, the UK would still have quite close ties with uh, Europe and, you know, only, you know there, there wouldn't be too many restrictions on um, uh, British people going to uh, live and work in Europe. But all that's up in the air now because yeah. uh, because the, the government's chosen the, chosen the hard Brexit route, which wasn't really on the table during the referendum. Yeah. And maybe not what people voted for when they voted to leave. So yeah, and I think that uh, there was some a bit of an uh, expectation it seems in a lot of uh, sort of the presentation from the pro Brexit sides that Europe was of course going to want them to have some kind of like soft landing with this, whereas the sort of presentation from the European Union side was you know basically like no piss off you know mm -hmm. we don't we have a, a strong incentive to not allow you guys to have some sort of cushy deal because of course that's just going to encourage other countries to do the same thing. Yeah, exactly, and I think it was quite. Revealing feeling that, um, that they, they didn't allow any kind of sort of informal negotiations until they actually did what they did this week, which yeah. is trigger Article 50. They've come very keen to, you know, Tusk and people like Verhofstadt, very keen to just do it all by the book. Because yeah. they're setting a precedent here for any other country yeah. that thinks about that it later thinks on. About so they want to make sure, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. make sure that the process is, 
is, is difficult and yeah. you know and, and, to, and, and to send done. the warning to the other yeah there's not gonna be any states. soft there's not gonna be sort of soft cozy um you know um backroom deals it's, it's gonna be done rigidly and, yeah. and by the book yeah. right well i propose gordon that you and paul get married and then you can uh, <laughs> you can get a dutch passport and it will be fine and we won't have to look for another co-host as long as you'll be the bridesmaid boy. absolutely <laughs> we, what what we're gonna do with the other uh how many is it uh, f- uh 400 and f- 46, 40, 000 46, 000 49, 999, 000. Uh, i'm not really sure well, so. by that time a multi-person marriage in the netherlands will be legal <laughs> right, so we so can just marry fine. everything well murphy everyone. has a dutch passport so i mean perhaps oh. at that point you could marry him i've got a bit of space in my cellar as well if uh, anyone wants to hide out oh, okay. i actually no, prefer to, to marry larry the cat Speaking of which, can we discuss the fact that poor Larry the cat got locked out of 10 Downing Street? Yes. What happened there? I'm not up to speed with this. Uh, as uh, Theresa May uh, left 10 Downing Street after she sent a letter to, uh, to, uh, to Brussels, um, she stepped into her uh, silver jaguar and rode off to Westminster. And then the Bobby, he closed the door as um, Larry the cat was trying to walk inside. So he was standing there outside of the door, waiting for the door to be opened. Looking very sad. Mm, the, yeah. the economist had a very And nice obviously photo. there were a lot of photogra- ph- photographers yeah. uh, uh, on the uh, on the other side of the uh, street. So, they were... yeah, so, 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 so Larry the cat was just left there looking like a very sad allegory. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. As okay, if Catacle 50 was... Uh, uh, was triggered. triggered. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, I think we should stop yeah, well, the uh, conversation here before Paul makes any more puns. Yeah. <laughs> I think on that note we should wrap up. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and you can now send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. My thanks to Molly Quell and Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.